title of the message this morning is No More Whining. No More Whining. <laughs> well, the children of Israel had just witnessed one of the greatest miracles that God ever performed. God had just parted the Red Sea so that the children of Israel could cross over on dry ground. Can you imagine experiencing this? And God had delivered them from Pharaoh's bondage just as He had promised He would. And He destroyed Pharaoh and all his company of soldiers and chariots. Philip G. Riken, in his book on Exodus, said in some of his initial thoughts, he said, uh, But salvation always demands a response. A song of praise that is most suitably expressed in song. I love the opportunity that God gives us every week to sing and to worship and to praise God for what He has done. Exodus chapter 15 tells us a little bit of what is taking place. It gives us a glimpse as to how the children of Israel responded to this great miracle. So if you would this morning, follow along as I read uh, Exodus chapter 15 and verses 1 through 21. And I'll read quickly, so kind of follow along as best you can. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is His name. Think about that just for a moment. Thinking of the Lord as being a warrior because of what He had just done. Verse 4 says, He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths of a stone, like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And you think about this. Someone has once said that the hymns talk about the greatness of God, whereas the choruses and the praise choruses sing to God. If you will, you think about this. This is that Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. As they were singing to the Lord, they were recounting all the things that God was doing and had, had done. Verse 8 says, The waters heaped up at the blast of your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The water depths congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified in their, at their expense. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Can you imagine the mighty host of Israel, the children of Israel, singing the account of what God had just done back to Him? Telling the story. And the, the imagery that, he, that they use here, with the very nostrils, He blows it apart. And with His very nostrils, the breath of God coming out and it covering them once again. Verse 11, The Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You will lead the people you have redeemed with your faithful love. You will guide them to your dwelling and with your strength. When the peoples hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. 
the inhabitants of Canaan will panic and the terror and dread will fall on them. They will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchase pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountains of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, and Aaron's sister took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with their tambourines and danced. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. Think about that just for a moment. Oftentimes, as we partake of the Lord's table, we will sing the chorus, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Oftentimes, it's appropriate and it's right to sing praise to God for what He has done in our lives and for what He is continuously doing. And oftentimes in Scripture, in fact, very often, after God performed something great and miraculous, songs were sung in response to what He had done. For example, in Job chapter 38, verse 7, it says, While the morning stars sang together, referring to creation, there was singing that was taking place, praise that was taking place for what God was doing. In Judges chapter 5, uh, as we read about Deborah and Barak, and you know, they sing of how God worked in victory. They began to sing out. Uh, of course, in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 7, you know, as, as David slew the, the Philistine giant uh, Goliath, it says uh, that the, they went out in the streets and they sang that Saul had killed his thousands and David had killed his ten thousands. They sang out in victory over what God had done. Israel, for God's care and comfort in Isaiah 51, verse 11. In Isaiah 44, verse 23, Israel sang out because God was real to them. And they couldn't do anything but sing because of the reality of God's presence in their life. And then again in Luke chapter 1, and verse 46, as Mary sang out over hearing the news that she would bear, bear the Christ child. Oftentimes in Scripture we see that a song is sung in praise to God for His miraculous works. We ought to be a people of praise. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly in you and among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts for God. So there ought to be something in our hearts that when God is at work, He puts a song in our mouth. In fact, we've said this over and over. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 3, He says, He brought me up out of a miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And then what did He do? And He had put a song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, that many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. It's an appropriate response to what God is doing in our lives, that we would praise and worship in song to God. But notice what happened in the hearts of the children of Israel. As fast as they had begun to praise and worship God for His awesome, powerful, and miraculous works, they had begun to forget what He had done. One week, they were on the mountaintop. The next week, they were in the valley of despair. Maybe for a moment you can relate. In fact, take your Bibles just for a moment. Keep your finger there in Exodus 15. But turn over to Psalm chapter 106. Psalm 106, just the first several verses there. Once again, kind of recounting the story of what God was doing, had done. It says, Hallelujah, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. 
His faithful love endures forever. Who can declare the Lord's mighty acts or proclaim all the praises due Him? How happy are those who uphold justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to me with your salvation so that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. Rejoice in the joy of your nation and boast about your heritage. It says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have done wrong and we have acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wonderful works or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. I mean, so think about it. They had just witnessed one of the most miraculous things that God had ever done, and now they're recounting the fact that they didn't grasp the significance of it. It's kind of like you've heard the statement before, they're kind of too close to the situation to really understand it. It's kind of what the circumstances were. They were in the midst of it. They were experiencing it, yet they didn't grasp the significance of what God was doing. Verse 8, but here's the greatness of God. It says, yet he saved them because of his name. To make his power known, he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the adversary. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Water covered their foes. Not one of them remained. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But notice verse 13. They soon forgot his works and would not wait. For his counsel. So one week, they're on the mountaintop, in the midst of it all, experiencing God's miraculous power. And in the next moment, they're in the valley of despair. The one thing we need to remember, remember and realize in our day-to-day living is that the God of the good times is still the God of the bad times. He does not change. Our God is the same. In fact, this may become as a surprise to some of us, but the same God that worked in the book of Exodus is the same God we have today. You realize that? Same God. Sometimes we think of it as a story in the Old Testament. Well, that was what God did way back then. But folks, He's the same God today. Same powerful God today. For a moment, you see God's hand at work in your life, and then a few minutes later, you begin to wonder. Kind of like the children of Israel. God, have you left me? Do you know how things, difficult things are for us right now? And we begin to whine and complain about our circumstances. Look at the next little passage here back in Exodus chapter 15. We already saw in Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forgot... I would not heed the counsel. But look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of, of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, and they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, What are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. Over and over, we understand that God is a powerful God. But here's what we kind of deal with in our flesh. The children of Israel had just experienced the victory, the freedom, salvation, if you will. 
They rightfully worship God and sing praises to His name. However, what happens following salvation is this. Sanctification. Let's draw the parallel just for a moment. When we as a child of God begin to place our faith and trust in Him, what God begins to do next in our lives is a process of sanctification. And sanctification is that long, sometimes difficult process of being conformed to the holiness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. For the children of Israel, no sooner had the song of Miriam ended, the sanctification process that needed to take place for the children of Israel had begun. The party, if you will, had abruptly ended. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, we get a little glimpse that their triumph at the Red Sea had turned into tragedy. However, the promised land could only be reached by way of the wilderness. You see, before the blessings could come, they had to go through the trials. But you have to understand this, too. The wilderness was a difficult place to be. It was a barren, dry, desolate place. The journey that Moses was leading them in was sure to be a difficult journey. I like what John McKay wrote concerning this passage of Scripture. John McKay wrote this many years ago. He says, It is God's normal way of working that entering into glory does not immediately follow salvation. Rather, there is a time of preparation to make His people ready for the inheritance He will bestow upon them. Now think about this. God saves us, He begins to sanctify us, and He allows us to enter into the process of becoming like Himself. So that was the method He followed in the case of the Israelites. Free indeed they were from the hand of Egyptian control, but they still had much to learn. For one thing, their faith was still very weak, and it would take time for their trust in the Lord to develop so that they would be able to face every set of circumstances without hesitation. John McKay continues, they were, they were therefore led in times of difficulty and testing so that their spiritual faculties might be developed through use. It was one thing to sing the praises of their deliverer and quite another to live out their faith when confronted with the problems of ordinary living. Overcoming the latter challenge could bring them into a clear understanding of themselves and what it meant to have faith in the Lord. I think getting back to our text, two questions have to be answered in our minds. The first question is this. What was the response of the children of Israel? I mean, here they were. They had just experienced victory, just experienced freedom, just experienced salvation, if you will, from the hand of Pharaoh. They were freed from Egypt's bondage. They were on their way out. And the hand of God was experienced in their lives. And Moses leads them right into the wilderness of shore. Three days' journey into the wilderness. Put yourselves in their sandals for a moment. In fact, put yourself there for about three days. They set out on their journey through the wilderness. There is a huge problem that they faced. You know what the problem was? No water. No water. They began to do what most of us in their situation would do. Whine. Gripe. Complain. Three days, no water. Then on the horizon, praise God, God did deliver. But I want to touch on a very critical point just for a moment, if we can. 
But before that, I want to answer the second or ask the second question. What should be our response to the trials that we face? How should we handle it? I mean, after all, I mean, is it a realistic unexpected, I mean, expectation to think that, hey, we're going to go on a journey, we're going to have some water as we go? I mean, after all, this is not, you know, poolside oasis here. You know, this is not a glass of water and palm trees everywhere we're going during this wilderness struggle here. Well, what does James tell us? I think James gives us the answer of what we, the, the kind of response we need to have. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Consider it... What? Joy? What kind of joy? Great joy. Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Do we have joy when we go through trials? I mean, we wake up in the morning and this trial begins to overcome us and it starts to occupy our day and we say, Woo! Thank God for another opportunity! Yes, bring it on! No, because that's not our normal response in the flesh. We don't like difficulty. We, in fact, over and over and again, we, we, we beg God for a life of ease, don't we? We go on a trip we say, God, give me your traveling mercies. We pray to God that the car don't break down. We pray to God we don't run out of gas. We pray that the check engine light doesn't come on. We want a life of ease. But he says, consider it great joy. Have we learned to count it all joy? What's the hindrance? Well, I believe that there's really a critical issue that all of us have to deal with often, or at least once in a while in our daily lives. It is the issue of expectations. The children of Israel expected to have water while on their journey. In fact, that's a probably very realistic expectation, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't any of us in this room expect the same? I mean, we're traveling through the wilderness. It's dry, it's desolate, it's arid. I mean, is it really asking too much to have some water? But what happens when our expectations are not met? I think most of us know the answer to that question. We do what the children of Israel did. We whine. We complain. What's the key? How do we overcome that in our day-to-day living? Because what they were going through is what we go through too. Before we get too critical of them, before we jump on them too hard, let's realize that we do the same thing. The key, I believe, is to to not having unfulfilled expectations is to fully and completely trust God for every circumstance. You mean for every circumstance? Yes, for every circumstance. You see, in our minds, we know that God is powerful, right? We know that He can do all things up here because there's nothing God can't do that is good. But what happens when my expectations of having all my needs met What happens when my expectation of our relationships being perfect aren't perfect? What happens when my kids don't do what I expect them to do? Do I trust God in all these things? You see, if I trust God, all things work together for good to them that love God, that are called according to His purpose. Why? He allows things in our lives that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. Do I love Him enough to trust Him enough that God is not going to make any mistakes? See, it's either about having what I want fulfilled 
or trusting God for something different. Think about that. Could it be that God simply has different expectations for me than I have for myself? Could it be that God has different expectations? Could it be that God knows what I need better than what I know that I want? Could it be that God is trying to teach me a lesson that I in my flesh do not want to learn? The answer to all those questions it just might be an emphatic yes. That God has different plans. That God knows what's better. That God knows what I need more than what I want. The children of Israel have become forgetful. We saw that in Psalm 106. Also keep in mind that God led them to this place and to these circumstances. Think about this. God established Moses as their leader to lead them out of Pharaoh's bondage. But as God was leading Moses, he led them to the wilderness, right? Think about this just for a moment. If God had wanted them to have fresh spring water, he would have led them elsewhere. But he didn't. He led them to where he wanted them to be. So let us be reminded that whining and complaining doesn't help. In fact, we won't take the time to go there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, reminds us that really, griping, complaining, whining is really poison. It has no good effect on anybody. So are we going to trust God to turn things around? Talk to the one who has the power to change our circumstances. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25, it says, So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. Think about this, just for a moment. What do we do when things don't go according to our expectations? Can you believe what happened the other day? I mean, I, I, you wouldn't even believe how this day has gone. We get on the phone. We start calling our buddies. We start talking to our friends. We start telling them everything about the breakdown of the entire day. Hoping to get some sort of sympathy and empathy and whatever else we can get out of it. Because we got to tell somebody about the problems that we're facing. So the children of Israel began to gripe and complain. What did Moses do? He turned to the one who could do something about it. What a reminder. It's so simple. It's right there in front of us. Are we willing to turn to the one who can do something about our circumstances? And in verse 26, he talks about this. Verse 26, he says this. He said, if you will carefully obey Yahweh your God, do what is right in His eyes, pay attention to His commands and keep all His statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. He says, basically, he says, I'll spare you of the struggles and I'll heal all your disease. But was it without condition? No. What he expected was obedience. He said, just do what I tell you to do, and I'll take care of you. Let me ask you a question. Has that principle of Scripture changed at all in the last couple thousand years? It really hasn't. God says, if you'll just trust me, 
you'll just obey me, I'll take care of you. Now remember, in making that statement, it's all about us submitting to his expectations for ourselves, not our own expectations for ourselves. It's trusting him to do what's better than what we think we want or need. So he says, I'll spare you the struggle. I'll heal your disease. The children of Israel already knew God is the great I Am. And now the Israelites were about to meet God as Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. At Marah, God cured the bitter water and made it sweet and fit to drink. And this was to teach the children of Israel to trust God for every type of healing. God is a God who forgives our sins and heals our diseases. And we saw that, or we see that in Psalm 103, verse 3. But notice at the end of our text there, in Exodus 15, verse 27 says, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there by the waters. God ultimately moved them from bitter water to refreshing springs. Elam was often associated with blessing, but at Elam there was an abundance of underground water. The numbers 12 and 70 are representative of the 12 tribes and the 70 elders of Israel. God's provision revealed to them that He truly cared for them. Despite their griping and complaining, He still met the need. So I wonder, do you find yourself able to relate to the children of Israel at all? I see at least four areas that, at least, I look at my own life. Spiritually high one week, in the valley the next. You ever find yourself there? You see God doing something and you're excited about it. And then the next week you don't see it as clearly. And you wonder, where is, he, where is he at? What has he gone? Where is he gone? Is he still there? I can relate that way. Spiritually high one week in the valley of the next. Secondly, having high expectations only to be disappointed from unfulfilled expectations. Because I want my way rather than trusting in his way. Number three. Struggling with faithfully trusting God and being filled with fear and doubt rather than faith and trust. Maybe number four, understanding that God desires my obedience and He blesses me out of a heart of love. Even though they griped and complained, He still gave them what they needed. The water. One would have thought that many valuable lessons would have been learned through their experiences at Elam. See how it works, this cycle? I mean, they're in bondage. God removes them from the situation. Now they're in the wilderness of shore, griping and complaining, even though they know how powerful God is. And then God provides Elam, the springs and the water that's there again. And then it goes from Elam to more griping and complaining. You ever heard the phrase, all good things must come to an end? Such was the case, children of Israel. For weeks they enjoyed camping out under the palm trees and being refreshed by the springs of Elam. But it's time to move on. So moving forward, the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is located between Elam and Sinai. And one thing that we're going to see in this passage is a pattern that all too often exists in the life of many of us believers. A pattern of whining and griping and complaining. All through chapter 15. And then going again in chapter 16. You would have thought they have learned. 
And as the children of Israel marched deep into the desert, the difficulties of the journey began to surface again. And the children of Israel, in the midst of the difficulties, had to make a choice. You can whine and gripe and complain, or you can continue to trust. Notice three statements that describe what happens as they get deep into the desert. Chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. Actually, start with verse 1. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community. Did, did, you, did you catch those few words there? A few of the children of Israel. Some of the children of Israel. Most of the children of Israel. What's it say? All of them. The entire community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead you brought us into this wilderness to make us whole, make this whole assembly die of hunger. Like God's not powerful enough now, right? After all the... I mean, he's, he's, he's okay to push back the entire water and make a wall so that they can walk on dry land, but God, we're, we're, we're hungry. <laughs> I know you can do that, but this, this, this is too big. You would have thought that after everything they had witnessed, the whole congregation grumbled. And they began to would have been better. Would it have really been better? No. No. Philippians 4 verse 4 reminds us of a simple truth. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Have we learned to rejoice even when we can't see the outcome? I'm sure, once again, before we get too critical of the children of Israel, we know the story But how many of us, if we were in the same shoes, wouldn't do the same thing because it's day to day? I'm sure they don't have First first Community Mutual Bank of Jerusalem or Egypt or anywhere else. They don't have their checking accounts all laid out in front of them. So they don't have their water supplies because remember, they're on a trip, they're on a journey. It is literally day to day to day to day. For three days we don't have water, then we do. And now we're going to have water for a while, but now we don't again. But now water's not good enough, we want meat. And then if I can't have the meat, and if I can't have it right now when I want it, when my expectations are, then I'm going to gripe and complain some more. You know, here's the interesting thing. The children of Israel were not starving, though they acted like they were. Let me tell you why. They had their livestock that they brought out of Egypt. They could have had milk. They could have made cheese. If in real despair, they could have even had beef. I mean, what more could you want? How do I know that? Look over at chapter. Chapter 17, and verse 3 says, But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. And they said, 
Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us in our land, our children, and our livestock? They could have had steak. No. They'd rather gripe. And if they had goats and sheep and lamb and cattle, they could have had the dairy products, they could have had the beef, they could have had whatever they wanted. But see, sometimes it's just easier to gripe and complain. And the children of Israel confused what they wanted with what they needed. In fact, take, take your finger just for a moment and turn to Psalm 78. Psalm chapter 78. A couple of verses here. Verse 18 says, They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. Wow. Isn't that pretty bold? Verse 30, Before they had satisfied their desire while the food was still in their mouths. Did you know God's anger flared up against him and he killed some of their best men and he struck down Israel's choicest young men. So you can only test God for so long before he has enough. The very principle is often the basis of our own discontentment. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 7 and 8 says this, in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because He has heard your complaints about Him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued. The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and more than enough bread in the morning. For He has heard the complaints that you are raising against Him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. And one thing that we need to remember, folks, is that when we gripe and complain, it's human nature to have to have somebody to pin our problems on. When things go wrong at work, it's the supervisor's fault. And if it's not the supervisor's fault, it's the company's fault. And if it's not the company's fault, it's the stockholder's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. We live in a culture, we live in a day and age that we don't want to take responsibility for our problems. That's all around us. It's like us to have to pin our problems on somebody or something rather than take responsibility for it. It's no different for the children of Israel. I want to read just a couple more verses and we're almost through. Exodus 16, verses 4 through 9. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Just get enough for this day. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord's glory because He has heard your complaints. And despite the complaints, He still gave them what they needed. Which is the very thing that God does. He may not always give us what we want, but He most definitely gives us what we need. In fact,
fact, that's why he says in Scripture, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And sometimes we kind of misconstrue purposefully what our needs are and what our wants are. So imagine for a moment, God says that he is going to rain bread from heaven. And Moses had to be thinking, how is this going to happen? Moses is probably scratching his head once again. So he went out and told the children of Israel what God had said. One thing was for certain. By evening you will know. You'll be reminded once again that it was me who brought you out of Egypt. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. For 40 years God provided manna for their sustenance. We see that in uh, Exodus chapter 16 down to the end of verse 31 and there verse 35. But notice something in verses 9 and 10. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness, and there in a cloud the Lord's glory appeared. Even in the midst of their griping and complaining, Isn't that amazing? How many like to spend time with gripers and complainers? Anybody just want to, you know, like call up and say, hey, let's go to lunch. I just want to listen to your griping and complain a little bit longer. He never left them. So notice the test. God already knew the outcome of the test. I believe that the test, along with our conscience, convicts us through the circumstances as to whether or not we trust wouldn't it be within our nature to get just a little bit more than we need just because we can? But God said, don't do that. Not until the weekend. Each day, just gather what you need. The instructions were clear. There was to be no surplus. No hogging, so to speak. Just take what you need. There'll be plenty. How do you think the children did? Some fared well, others failed miserably. But God was trying to teach them to trust Him daily. One more time, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. Verse 13 says this. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardships for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for the needs, so their abundance may also become available for our needs, so that there may be equality. As has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. Here's the idea. Take what you need. Trust him daily. It's not about having too much. It's not about having not enough. It's about trusting Him daily for what you need. And the Apostle Paul really was just quoting from Exodus chapter 16 and verse 18. What I find in my life, and maybe most of you can relate, that most of us don't live day to day. Most of us enjoy, because of God's rich blessings, the ability to live from week to week or month to month. We've been accustomed to having much. We don't go to the store and 
typically buy just one can of something. If they're on sale, you buy two or three. I hate to say it, but we'd probably walk into some of your pantries and there'd probably be like enough for Y2K all over again. That was another subject. I had friends who stockpiled their garages and then afterwards they just couldn't give it all away. We have so much. We stockpile and stockpile as if we're never going to leave. Do we trust God day to day? So what does God want from us? I believe that God would have us to respond to what we've read and heard by doing two things. Number one, stop whining, griping, and complaining every time we don't get our way. He says, as Moses reminded the children of Israel, your griping and complaining is not to me. It's to God. We might want to pin our problems on someone else, but in essence what we are saying is, God, you didn't fulfill God, you didn't come through this time. What we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you. We need to stop griping. Stop complaining. Stop whining. And number two, we need to simply start trusting God more. Even when our expectations are not met. To say, God, I trust you that you have something else in mind and it's probably better for than what I would want for myself. Are we willing to trust Him? But here's the amazing thing, that even through all of that, the amazing thing to me is that God says, I heard their complaints. He says it several times throughout 15. He says it again in chapter 16. I've heard the complaints. And despite it, He still loved them enough to meet their needs. We serve a God just loves us. Our imperfections, our inconsistencies, our lack of trust, He just loves us. And if we serve that kind of a God, why would we not serve Him likewise in response? Love Him the same. That's a challenge. I don't know about y'all, I can only speak for your, you know, for me. I just know sometimes it's easier to gripe than it is to deal with it. What a lesson to learn. What a lesson to be reminded of. God is faithful. He's faithful. Say it out loud with me. God is faithful. Say it again. God is faithful. Let's trust Him. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your message. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to realize that, God, you love us so much that you're only going to do what's best for us even when we are inconsistent, even when we are disobedient, even when we don't understand what's going on. God, forgive us for our griping and complaining and our lack of trust. God, would you work in our hearts this day Lord, it really does come down quite simply to a love issue. Do I love you enough to trust you? Do I love you enough just to know that you're, you know what's best? God, forgive us for our lack of love, our lack of trust, our lack of faith in you. Forgive us.
forgive us for making life all about ourselves. So God, would you work in our hearts this day to draw us closer to you? Would you work in our hearts this day, Lord, to help us to see it for what it really is? And we might change these things in our life. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we do each week. Just an opportunity to respond to what we've heard a simple question this morning. You say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself, there's too much griping and complaining and not enough trust. God has challenged my heart. He spoke to my heart. Some things I need to work on. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes. All over. I'm just going to suffice it to say that there's a bunch of us in this auditorium this morning that struggle with this. So can I just challenge all of us that are here this morning? Just take a moment and help us Ask God to help us learn from the children of Israel. As our heads are bowed and as our eyes are closed, let's just take a moment and pray and say, God, forgive us for griping and complaining. God, forgive us for not trusting you. God, forgive us about making it all about ourselves and our expectations and whether or not we get our way or whether or not we're trusting you. Let's just talk with God for a moment this morning.